Welcome to Ultra Pro Max. This is a podcast where we talk about the Apple development ecosystem and Apple gear in general. You got me, Sadia, and I'm with Joshua. How are you going, Joshua? Hey, it's going well. And, and we have Sadia announcing today because our friend Luke couldn't make it. So we'll, we'll carry on with the two of us today. I've just been listening to The Flophouse. Do you know that podcast? I've been hearing Merlin Mann talk about it. I've been curious to try it, but so I haven't yet. How have you been liking it? Man, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, you've got to find your podcast voice. You need to find your true self, you know, Joshua. And when I listen to the Flophouse, I think, man, I'm so low energy compared to these guys. They are just hyperactive. And so I'm going to try to be a little bit more... Uh, little more high energy today but you know also got to got to remain true to myself uh i think i'm a little bit more syracuse high energy adhd like like those guys are i like the balance of podcast hosts for instance syracuse i love how chill and quiet and maybe uh slightly disgruntled he comes across as all the time like that to me is it's it's really cool i like it and then you have some people who it sounds like they forgot to take their meds and it's amazing and i love it so i i enjoy the variance and you're right there's an element of being true to who i am but i also i am performing at some, to some extent and it's okay to modify a little bit you got your podcast hat on i have had an amazing week i want to talk to you about domes and equipment you know my office is a geodesic dome it's pretty huge it's got a, a four meter radius so uh, it's a, about nine meters tall in the middle man i built this thing myself with like a steel kit it's it's made out of steel beams and a pvc cover and it's my office i got like my mac in there all set up on an on a custom desk that my uncle built for me and i got my gaming pc on another desk i've got a vr space in the middle and the rest of it is all instruments you know it's a big jam space that a couple of times a week i jam with my kids and let me tell you there is nothing more fulfilling in the world than playing music with the kids ah oh, i just i love it so much i've got I've got three bass guitars because I'm mostly a bassist. I've got an electric guitar. I've got an acoustic guitar. I've got a drum kit, various amps and a very well set up pedal board, even a clarinet. And then this week I got an electric piano. Is this like an electric piano that's just connected with uh, MIDI or is there something special about the kind of piano? It does have MIDI out. No, it has speakers built into it, although I do have a keyboard amp I could put it in. It is it it was released this this electric piano. It's a Yamaha Clavinova released from 1999. So it's old, but it is in great nick, really good condition, and it plays beautifully, and it even has in built into it a floppy drive. And inside of the seat, of course, I found the the floppy disk that came with it with its like software and built-in songs and things like that. So I've been having such a blast playing that thing. As a non-musician, so my son has been trying to learn piano over the last year. He's 10. What I've started to figure out is he really likes to hear a song and start to fiddle with it for a couple of days to try and figure out how it's done. And then he also has an instructor that walks through the, the, the way to actually approach music. So that's, that's awesome. But what I've started doing is finding those YouTube videos 
of a song and it shows the keys dropping down on the keyboard. So then he'll watch and listen and he'll start to replicate. So right now he's trying to learn the Jurassic Park theme song. And at all times of the day, I hear the first few notes of it. And it's, it, it's so delightful to hear it. Yeah, that, that's me trying to play piano too, except I don't have any of those apps that, that do the drop down keys. And it's just a YouTube, we're just looking up for, on YouTube videos for it. It's worthwhile learning your different scales, I think. Like, that helps a lot. You figure out what scale a song is and you know which notes not to play. And then you can sort of guess at the intervals and it makes it much easier to be able to figure a song out like that. But anyway, this isn't a music podcast. It's a dome podcast. That's the other thing I've been doing in in my free time. I've been building a new geodesic dome. Rather than build with a kit, like my current dome which is all steel bars and quite heavy. I bought a whole heap of timber and a bunch of equipment to cut the timber with, uh, various different saws, including like a, some, some very scary-looking table saws that, to help me rip down the center of... I started this week. We, we built 16 hexes, uh, as in hexagons, and a couple of pentagons. We've got probably another 10 pentagons to go, and then we've got to do five half pentagons. Uh, but we're building a buckyball design, which is like a beginner's dome. Uh, it looks a little bit like a soccer ball. It's five-eighths, so not quite half, a little more than half. And this is like our test dome, right? So we're going to mount it up on besser blocks, on concrete blocks, and build a garden bed around it with a little entrance and maybe plant some kiwi fruit put some chicken wire around it and plant something viney you know to to crawl up the sides and it'll be a little bit of a cubby for the kids on our on our we we sometimes we call it the homeschool level sometimes we call it the food forest level uh in on our property so that's what i've also been working on man I'll send you some photos. It it looks so cool. It's still small. It's it's like a test one, you know. And by the way, for the Americans in the audience, it's uh, the dome is twenty six feet in uh, diameter by twenty nine <laughs> feet. The one that uh, Saudi is currently in. Uh, so my wife grew up in a dome that her dad built by hand. It was a five thousand square foot three level dome that she grew up in. I've visited. I've spent time in there, and it's. That was her primary house. So there's so much real estate you get inside of that. But also when it comes to resale value, you have to definitely have a specific buyer. Um, There's some challenges with that. But uh, yeah, there's there's something about living in a dome for work or play that uh, I'm excited to see the pictures of what you're building. Yeah. Well, well, this one, it's about, it's going to end up being one and a half meters tall, maybe two meters once it's up on blocks. Uh, What's that? maybe six foot yeah yeah something like that so yeah i'm downloading those now out of my photos library to to send to you to have a look that's that's been my week and of course work in the middle of all of that but uh i've been i've been really excited by building this new dome because the plan is we'll build this buckyball as a test dome and then we'll build a more traditional geodesic structure using triangles instead of hexagons and pentagons and uh, we're going to build another probably maybe like six meter diameter dome. That's like 21 feet, I think. That'd be my guess. Something like that, yeah. And we'll make that the pottery studio because right now my wife's pottery stuff is all throughout the house. And 
it would be nice to have somewhere different to put the the wheel and uh, all of the drying clay and all of that sort of stuff. I know we've joked about this, but you should have a dome within your dome just for your podcast re- recording studio, <laughs> like dome inside of dome. <laughs> the other new bit of equipment that I've been messing around with this week is an iPad Pro. I've got this, I've had this 12.9 inch iPad Pro lying around, not doing anything. And I thought, oh, I'll give it another go. I see, I'm not a drawer like you, Joshua, you know? So I, I was always been like, oh, I don't know if I can integrate an iPad into my, into my life. I'd like to, but I've been doing it and it's been great. Before I started using it, I was like, oh, this isn't really going to work out. This is, you know, me just trying to fit some technology in where it doesn't really belong. But no, I've found that I've been really using it a lot. I take it to the coffee shop with me in the morning and get through my Slack messages. I really like writing, handwriting on the screen with the pencil. That is a great way of doing text. It never makes mistakes for me. So not that I have particularly neat handwriting either. And then when I'm at my desk, I use it as a second display. Not actually as, you know, you can do a second display, but it's not a display. I just share my keyboard and mouse. So on the iPad, I have Slack open and messages and a couple of those little ancillary apps. Although Slack on the iPad really sucks. Yes. You're using universal control, right? To move your mouse between your laptop and your iPad? I don't think it's called universal control. It's just in, if you click on the control center and then click on display, it will show your iPad in there and it'll say share keyboard and mouse. Is your iPad on a magic keyboard or is it on some sort of a tripod stand or um, trifold? Neither. I have like on my desk a, like a, what do you call those desk mats? you know, like an organizer thing. And it's got a little section in it that I can prop it up on. I don't have a case on it at the moment, although the camera bump annoys the heck out of me. Why do iPads have cameras, Joshua? I don't know. Well, and there's actually a good argument for, and I think the new iPad normal has this where the camera is actually on the landscape side instead of the portrait side. And I think that's a good thing. That's the front facing camera, right? The front facing, correct. Yeah, but I'm asking about the back one. I get the need for a front-facing one if you're on a call or FaceTime or whatever. Why do iPads have a back camera? All it does is adds a little bit of a wobble when I have the iPad on the table. I probably have used my iPad cameras a half dozen times in the last two years, right? The the first time was when I was doing LiDAR scanning before the iPhone had it. I was so excited. But for me, because I have an iPhone right next to me, there's zero use case for the iPad. However, I think that if the iPad is your only device for school um, or just as a for various things in life, I've seen people use that camera to take pictures. It It's a nice thing to have, but it is a lot of expense for something that I'm never going to use. So maybe I just need to buy a case. Maybe one with a kickstand would be nice. The, the case helps with the wobble. Uh, that's what I, I buy a really cheap case on Amazon usually just to protect the screen. And that way I can flip it around and have that set up. But iPad stands, I've looked at so many kinds and that's why I was curious what you're using. I always struggle to find out that right stand where the iPad screen will be next to my laptop screen in a way that doesn't crank my neck. Uh, So that's why I was curious what you've been doing. Yeah. So I I have my laptop screen off to the left-hand side and I barely use that. I have my music on that and a couple of widgets, Sonoma widgets, and then my main display in the center and my iPad below that. And 
I have found I've never done like the two screens one above the other before. I know some people love that, especially with a laptop. And I love I, I also love it. I think it's great. It I use my lower screen a lot more because I'm not looking to the left all the time, crank, cranking my neck. Uh, and so and you should check out this share control or whatever it's called with the keyboard and mouse. It's like magic. It's unbelievable. I, I just use like a Logitech keyboard and mouse and it's indistinguishable from like there's no lag whatsoever moving from one display to another you can move the ipad the ipad display in the display preferences you know and and say where it's located hold on you're talking about the feature that creates a little bubble on the edge of the screen before it pops over the first time right because i'll have there uh, i'll have my mouse on my laptop and i move it over to the right and it pops onto my ipad and then i do stuff on my ipad that's what you're talking about right yeah, yeah, that's right. I don't like that feature. <laughs> Naturally, we've got to have different takes on this because I use my corners for hot corners on the Mac. And so what happens is I'm thinking I'm going to do a hot corner in my brain from the last 15 years, and then it switches over to my iPad. So I've struggled with that feature, even though it's incredibly cool. You should stop using hot corners. Who does that? But also, I think maybe I haven't seen that popping action because... You convinced me to move my dock to the right-hand side of the screen, and I've been putting my iPad at the bottom, and so there's nothing in the way, right? It's like, it's just instant. It's great. And also, if you do it this way, if you have it underneath a large display, and then in your display preferences, put your iPad right in the middle, like it is in real life, maybe you can still use your hot corners, right? Because if it knows not to do all of the bottom of the screen, just the middle bottom. I think once I get a large display again, I might try that because I've been on a laptop for the last year plus. I think that could be a really nice use case for just propping up one of my iPads right below it. So duly noted. I've loved it. So we have some follow-up from a previous episode, last episode, where we are talking about subscription models with software. Is it a subscription if there is sort of an update every now and then, kind of like Affinity does. A few different people do this. Things does it. They do every two years or so. There's a big update and it costs you another $40. Well, that's $20 a year. You know, is that count as a subscription? So we were talking about this last week. And this week you had something to share, something called once.com. Yeah, I saw it. It's a little manifesto posted by the folks at Basecamp slash 37 signals, and I will drop into the show notes, just um, the short idea that they want to start releasing some software coming next year that you will buy once and that's it. You're done forever. You will not, you will not be paying for as a SaaS product month to month. This comes from the folks at Basecamp who they built their business on SaaS products month to month. I use Basecamp daily. I use Hey daily, and I actually really like their software. So I'm curious what they're thinking of building. I... I did read some of the more cynical takes online after this was announced. Um, oh, that's pretty convenient for them to say that, having made their hundreds of millions on SaaS for the last 20, dec- 20 years, that suddenly they're going to say, well, we'll sell it once. And of course, I think I, I, I'd have to mention the two years ago, the whole blow up with Basecamp, you know, two thirds of the company left because of a bunch of issues that went down with how management handled things. With that said... I'm excited to see what they launch because the co-founders of Basecamp are really good at having their finger on the pulse of what a lot of people are excited about. Um, so 
It's a short manifesto that basically says nothing except gets you excited, which is how they released Hey. They kind of just said, we have a problem we want to solve. Are you feeling this pain? Well, keep an eye out over the next year. And it's it's brilliant. <laughs> if I am channeling John Syracuse, I am also definitely channeling David Heinemeyer Hansen, one of the Basecamp co-founders. I love that guy. And the founder of Ruby on Rails, um, j- just another be- benevolent, self-labeled dictator for life of this massive open source platform that's shaped the web as we know it. I don't think this manifesto, and man, who does manifestos be- better than Jason Fried, you know? Uh, I don't think this manifesto is saying that SAS is terrible, just that it's no good for regular software products. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I fully anticipate that two, three, four years from now, whatever software they release with this under this once brand, it will get an update, and you will have to pay for that update. So, six or one half a dozen the other. They do have this model of if you are on Basecamp version one or two, they will keep supporting it for life. So, as long as there's customers on it, they'll keep supporting it. So following that principle, let's say they come up with a cool app next year and I pay $30 for that app. What I will expect is that I get that version of that app for many years to come and then they'll entice me for version 2.0, but I don't have to do it. And if it's under that model, I think that's actually really cool. It, you know, Security updates keep giving it for version 1.0, but other than that, leave it alone. That's actually kind of interesting. It is good, but if you're actually using that product day to day there's no way you're not upgrading and if you're not then you would have already unsubscribed to the SaaS. i guess it depends if you're part if you're a consumer probably not if you're part of a um enterprise or if you're part of a large company and basecamp 1.0 is good enough for you why change your processes i'm imagining the reason they keep supporting it is they're still making a couple million dollars a year off of old customers i am i'm getting to the age where I don't necessarily want the paradigm shift of my app to change every year. Like Slack, they came out with a big update a couple a month ago. I feel old and curmudgeon-y, like, why did they have to change it? I was fine with the way it was before. <laughs> I don't... Okay, so let's let's go to this next, <laughs> next topic, Slack. I don't think you're old and curmudgeon-y about this. I think it's a completely reasonable take. There's two ways of updating software, and only two ways. One is you make it better. And another one is you make it worse. And in the, in the case of Slack, it is worse in a number of ways. Is it prettier? Yes, it's prettier. But people don't want pretty updates. They want updates with fewer clicks. They want updates that work better with more features. This is actually something I've realized over the last couple of years. I used to be a designer based on Dribbble. And for those who aren't familiar, Dribbble is an amazing platform that took off 15 years ago where designers would post a, a, a shot of something they were creating. And they were always shiny, polished, with little glow effects. And designers ate it up along with founders and business leaders. They, they just go on Dribbble daily to get inspiration. And it's almost like... That new Slack design is intended to be a cool Dribble shot. I myself no longer use Dribble at all for any research. I post stuff to it, but I use live in-production apps for my research. So I am um, using Mobbin's a great example. It's this uh, just screenshots of, of 
in production apps. I'm constantly scouring the web for stuff that exists and is making money today, and I'm pulling my inspiration from that. That's a great idea. Wow. I've never even heard of that before. That is that should be a fundamental design. You should write that's a blog post right there, Joshua Well, I had this idea yesterday, speaking of blog posts, here's a little aside. What if you opened a new chat with ChatGPT, just an audio one, you know, a back and forth audio one, or even better, one where it's transcribed because the audio ones interrupt you constantly. And you just say, hey, I'm going to just shoot a few ideas off the top of my head. I'm just going to talk. Can you transcribe this and then take out any arms, reformat things without losing my tone, but just turn it into something that's suitable for a blog post? I wonder if that would work. Anyway, coming back to Slack. It's the Dita Rams thing. You know, well, I'm going to butcher the quote, but as little design as possible. I think that that's how it goes from Dita Rams. That is the opposite of what we're seeing from Slack. It's let's insert more design and make it harder to use. I've seen this also with the Ecobee thermostats, which I know that they were just complaining about on ATP. I have noticed the same thing. Every time they update their software, it's harder to change the temperature. Speaking of thermostats, I also got that equipment this week. I've got a Sensibo Smart AC controller. So now in the Australian summer heat, as we come towards the end of the year, the air conditioning in the office, in the dome, can automatically turn on when it gets too hot. And I can pre-cool when I'm still at home and go, oh, it's starting to get hot. Let's turn on the aircon in the dome before I go down. Anyway, we were talking about Slack. Did you have anything to add? <laughs> in practice, I, it feels like what's happened with Slack is how I use it is not the person they really care about anymore. It feels like they've started, they imagine a different customer that's not me, and that's where their new money is going to come from, and that's where they're running toward. And I think that's an important thing to understand that when you see software make updates, often there is a customer they're chasing. Whether or not they'll do it correctly is a whole other conversation. Um, but when software no longer is for me, I have to figure out why that is. So, yeah, for Slack, it is less useful, it's less functional for me. Uh, maybe it's great for other people, though. Yeah, time to get on the Discord bandwagon. I think not quite yet. I, I, I like the idea of Discord. I've used it a number of times. I think the association with gaming has made me think, well, I'm, I'm not in a gaming mode. I'm, in a, I'm trying to get work done mode, and Slack feels more like that. I think that's probably what's kept me on. They're not any functional part of Discord itself. This is where design is really useful, right? Discord feels like a place to hang out with friends. It feels like a fun place. And Slack feels like work. And I don't want my work to be in the same places where I'm hanging out with my mates. Yes. And that's where, for the most part, uh, like you and I, uh, we, we've worked together um, in the past and done a little bit of freelance together. And I for the most part, will not use iMessage for that, right? If we need to send a quick logistical message to each other, that's totally fine. But we try to keep iMessage for our social friendship conversation, and then Slack is where, for the most part, we do our work conversation. I actually like splitting things that way. To me, that's a way to kind of have duality of friendships with people in different places. But then you get on ATP where Syracuse is like, hey, Marco never checks his Slack. <laughs> <laughs> he will never respond yeah. to it, so I have to ping him an iMessage. All right, Joshua, it's time to introduce a new segment into Ultra Max, Ultra Pro Max, Max Pro Ultra. 
plus i pro, pro max and the <laughs> segment is called app ideas i think we should have a segment where we talk about new app ideas i have them all the time you have them all the time i'm sure luke has them all the time too let's just build not build or you know just chat about it in the open this first intro segment of app ideas the first time we do it is going to be maybe a little bit awkward because this is an app idea i'm kind of excited about and i've talked to you about a lot in the past but let's let's talk about it again now i want to get some listener feedback you can send your feedback to email at ultrapromax.fm and if you like this app idea then tell us and we will add you to the test flight or else we will let you just have the idea and you can just do it yourself. And I just want to reiterate, Sadi and I have come across people who say, hey, I have an idea, but you've got to sign an NDA before I'll share this. Oh, yes. And it's so precious. And I think there is a place in the world where that's okay. But often... Do you? Uh, I, I think so that if you're... Are you just being nice, though? If you're in some patented industry with healthcare or something, maybe. But in any circumstance... Healthcare. You, you want that to be open, if anything. I'm trying to give the benefit of the doubt here. All right, right. Maybe in some universe, there's some version where that's okay. But right, over yeah. the last 18 years, every time someone has told me that, I now just roll my eyes. I'm like, oh, you sweet summer child. All right, I'll, I'll humor you. Fine, sign whatever you want. Um, let's actually get down to the meat of it. Because ideas are not precious. They are not special. They mean almost nothing except as the inception for us to get in and build something and actually work through it. So I, I, my proposal is this is called Appception. I think that's the name of the segment. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, Appception. This is the idea. Let me see if I can pitch it to you again, Joshua. Already there exists a few different platforms online for managing podcasts. How do you make a podcast? There's sort of three steps in making a podcast. The first step is you record it. And you can do this on any number of platforms. There are platforms where you can go and they clean up your audio for you and stuff like that. We just use QuickTime or Logic or whatever and do it locally. That's step one. And then step two is you edit it. And there's some great software for editing it. You clean it all up, you take out the ums and ahs, you maybe add a compressor, and you're done. Now you've got your audio file. Maybe even if you're very, very, very clever in the edit, you can also add in chapters and chapter art. And then you've got to distribute it. You need to upload your file somewhere, and then you need to enter in all of the episode information and basically build an RSS feed. Once you've got the RSS feed, you've got to send it to, there's five or six or seven different distribution platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I don't know, are we on Spotify? I, I really, if we are. The way it works is once you post it to Apple's, uh, most of the rest will pick it up, except one or two of them, you still got to go directly to them. And I don't remember if, if Spotify, I think Spotify picks it up automatically. This last step, there's not very many people who are doing it. As, as a service, and those who are, they're all web-based. I mean, it makes sense, right? You've got to host the podcast file somewhere, but they're all a SaaS, and they're all web-based, and they're all subscription-based. And I thought, wouldn't it be good if there was a native app experience for this? Instead of having to go onto a website, and, you know, using a native app is so much better than using a web app. What if you could record on your iPad 
in however you do that. I've never tried recording on an iPad before. Presumably it's possible. The podcasters I follow, the tech podcasters, they have tried repeatedly to do it on an iPad. They've all basically stopped trying and they use a Mac. That, that That's kind of the end result. So a Mac native app for what you're describing, continue, but I, I think it's actually perfect right now. You use an app to record. You use an app to edit. Which do which do you use? Is it Ferrite? I'm using Ferrite right now, but then I pull it into Audacity on the Mac to do a little bit of cleanup because I'm more comfortable in there. So it's uh, Ferrite is 90% of the editing. Audacity is the last 10%. And then you upload it to a website and then add in a whole heap of metadata on the website. I think it's better if you just use a native app. And instead of hosting it on someone else's service, which is going to cause you all sorts of problems when you come to migrate it later, you host it on your own service, right? Like just in the same way that with like Panix Transmit, you can connect to an FTP service or an S3 bucket. You can connect to an FTP service or an S3 bucket or a digital ocean droplet or whatever you like that you own, own in air quotes, that, that belongs to you. And I mean, you could host it on your private NAS if you, if you know, you've got your DNS set up so that it's publicly accessible. From there, you can use this native app to generate the RSS feed and send it off to the various different platforms, all natively, as opposed to having to upload to a website and pay a SaaS subscription. What do you think? I really like native apps. Maybe not to the level that Gruber does. He talks about like Mac native first, why he likes Sketch over Figma. I actually like Figma better because of the collaboration. I actually like Google Docs better than Pages, not because it's better designed. No, it's a piece of junk, but the the way I can collaborate is better for my needs. So I'm not um, a Mac native app first, no matter what kind of person, but there are some occasions where it just blows everything else out of the water. For instance, you and I have worked on WordPress. Uh, it's, an, it's a CMS that I have so much appreciation for, also frustrations with, but it's a, an amazing CMS. I recently learned about Mars Edit. I write my blog posts in there and press publish, and I never even open WordPress anymore, and I am so much happier for it because I don't want to get into the WordPress admin to get a blog post into there. I want to just write. With what you're describing, I've now used Castos or Castos and Buzzsprout, uh, two different SASs, which Buzzsprout actually is fantastic. I think it does a, a good job at, at this process. But I would love to use a Mac native app. I would love to be able to just open it up, drop in my MP3 files. Maybe it's multiple files. Maybe it's one. I don't know. It depends on where we want to pick that up. Do the metadata um, and then publish it. That would be very interesting to me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. Mac slash iPad though, right? So the amount of times I see people on Mastodon talking, you know, putting a photo, a show off photo of them sitting in a lounge chair or sitting by the beach with their iPad editing a podcast in Ferrite. And that is apparently, I've never done it, but apparently it's a really amazing experience. I, I will speak to that. Editing in Ferrite is very enjoyable. You don't get the keyboard shortcuts, but if you use the Apple Pencil, it's just so elegant the way that you're going through and cleaning up audio. So you're right. If I could get the files from Ferrite into this new app you're describing, I'd be open to that. Right now, I've, I haven't imagined that paradigm shift. Um, so I, I'm interested. Yeah. I imagine you could go on your iPad all the way from having an audio file through to cleaning it up in Ferrite through to publishing it with whatever this app gets called.
Uh, and to uh, take it further, uh, we've been kind of sketching out a few ideas and just playing with it just to see where it takes us. So I'm obviously already quite interested in this pitch. And I think the thing that we both were inspired by is Orion. This is a fantastic app that came out recently, and I've been using it to test playing the Switch on it. I'm going to put that into the show notes, Orion. It's just one of those apps that did not need to try as hard as it did. <laughs> It's just this absolute delight to open up and use. And I think we were inspired by that. What if, Could we make apps that just have a little bit more delight in them? That would be cool. Well, Joshua, it's been fun. Sorry you missed out, Luke. Thank you for listening to Ultra Pro Max. Please, if you'd like to send us feedback, email at ultrapromax.fm and we'll see you next time.